This morning as we continue our study of what we believe, working through a statement of theology that we adopt as a church, although I said this before and I'm guessing many of us probably haven't really read that statement very much, uh, one of the reasons why we're preaching through it, because it is, at some level you think it doesn't make sense that we're not reading that, because it's, uh, uh, it's uh, sort of the, the basic things that inform us how we, how we act and how we, what, what we do in situations. On the other hand, it is okay, by the way, because there is something that's already been mentioned before, there's something that's far more important for us to read than just a statement of theology, because that should be based on the Word of God, and we should be reading that, because that's really what informs us how we act. But it is helpful for us to walk through and take some time and say, what do I believe about this? What do I believe about this? Now, we, the last couple of years, we, we, we treated Satan last week, and I just was sitting there again this, uh, just a little bit ago thinking, you know, the question that we also wrestled with in, in Sunday school, how, we say we believe God is sovereign, yet there's times in our lives we don't act like that uh, because we don't feel like, like, like that may be true. And, 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 and you hear the different prayer requests that we're offering, and we understand, and it's not just those, because all of us have, have lived through stuff like this. When those things happen, when it gets difficult, when the world closes in, when everything seems to fall apart, when nothing makes sense, when everything seems to go wrong time after time after time, it's hard to be led by your faith and not by your sight, not by your feelings, not by what's happening around you. And I was reminded, last week we talked about Satan, and I was reminded that we have someone who is our enemy and wants to do everything he can, everything he can to take any slight thing that does not go how we'd like it to go and turn us against God in that. Do you know one common thread that runs through every single prayer request that's offered in terms of someone needing help through our sharing time one common thread every time, one thing we can always know we can pray. There's lots of different things we should pray because they're different situations. But one thing we can always pray is pray against the enemy and his desire to take whatever's happening in that situation and turn that heart away from God, to harden that heart towards what God is doing or what may appear to be a lack of what God is doing. I, I, I just want to, I want to say this. We're sitting here. Probably not many of you have any of these really traumatic things we're talking about going on in your lives right now. But every one of us, I hope, is aware that we are not immune to this kind of thing. Where our faith seems really strong until something knocks it off track. Where the enemy happens to find one little one little chink in that armor. If I could circle back, it's exactly why we do what we did with Albert and Sarah, why we say we are committed to being here for each other. It's the role that we play for each other, actually, is that we can encourage and uphold and exhort and draw, call near those who are struggling. And I, that, that's a two-way street. You guys have all, oh, you don't know this, and this is not any of this message, I'm sorry, but you, you know this, but it's a two-way street. It has to be. We have to be willing to exhort and encourage and uphold and lift each other up. But we also have to be willing to let other people know when we're struggling. Otherwise, no one can come and help you because they don't know. 
As you, I'm sure, are unfortunately far too familiar with, there are times when you can be sitting on a Sunday morning and you are just about to feel like your head is going to go underwater and not a single person knows. And I'm really grateful for people here who have the gift of discernment because they can pick up on those things. And there are people here who can do that. They can look at someone and say, it's not going too good for you, is it? I'm really grateful. I'm not one of those people, by the way. But I also want to tell you, we are here to bear each other's burdens, to help carry the load for each other whenever we can. And that cannot happen if we're not willing to be honest and vulnerable with each other. It is no mark of Christian maturity to maintain that everything is good when your faith is not doing well. In fact, it is a, lack, is a mark of spiritual immaturity, not maturity. The greatest mark of maturity is when we know we're not in the best place and we're mature enough to acknowledge it to someone, whether it's in front of the whole church. I'm not telling you have to stand in front of the church and be like, guys, my life is falling apart, I need help. But someone needs to know. Someone needs to know. Otherwise, no one can come and, and exhort and encourage I mean, most of these requests this morning were not from people here in the church, which, by the way, doesn't mean you can't reach out and somehow find, I mean, I don't know, maybe we could arrange a card shower for Robert Otto and little kids could write messages of God's. I, I, don't, I have no idea. There's lots of things. I'm not saying that should happen. I'm just saying, I mean, there's, you know, there's 10-year-olds. I, I, I have a 10-year-old. There's almost more than I could do to sit here this morning and hear that someone's 10-year-old is stage four cancer. Maybe there's ways we can reach out. But most of the requests that were made this morning weren't really from here. And that's okay. I, that's no, no problem. But I have no doubt there's some people sitting here this morning that aren't, <laughs> their ship isn't floating along just freely and, and everything's going great. <laughs> we have this subject here and we're going to get to it and it needs to be talked about, but this is why we have church, brothers and sisters. I mean, I hope, I hope good preaching and good theology comes out, and I hope those things happen. We need those. This morning, the quote by N.T. Wright was 100% right in your quarterly. I don't know if you read it or not. That the more correctly we know who God is, the better we can worship him. The more accurately we can worship him. It's not based on feelings or fuzziness or anything. It's based on how do we know who God is. Then our worship comes out of knowing I hope those things happen here, but right along with that, there has to be the reality that we come to church because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we care about each other and we walk together and help each other so that every one of us gets to the end and hears the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope you know, maybe I should say this more often. I probably should actually. I hope you know that... I can say that for every one of you sitting here this morning. Some of you I may not know too well, but certainly those who can call this your church home. I want that to be true for you. I desperately want you to get to the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I mean that for all of you.
Those were not words that were supposed to plan to come out this morning, so I don't want to belabor something that doesn't need to be belabored. But I want you to know I care about you guys. And I want you to love each other too. There's nothing that that tears apart more than when we act unkindly or not in love to each other. And I'm not any more above that than any of the rest of you. I hope you know that. <laughs> speaking of Satan and speaking of this morning, we'll talk about our allegiances getting out of whack and those are the places where that creeps in. The enemy working in and our allegiance is getting a little out of whack. Well, this morning we have the subject of the state and I don't know if you thought about as we go through this why do we talk about the state in a statement of theology? Of all the great topics that could be addressed and are addressed and all the big high subjects we have, one called the state, and what does that have to do with, why is that so important? And again, I, I come back to the word I just used, which is the word allegiance, but I come back to because, because as believers, we are faced with the question every day of our lives, as to what authority we will submit to you. And this subject of the state has everything to do with that kind of question of what authority we'll submit to because it's all about authority and how God has things structured. We struggle with it on a family level. We struggle with it individually with God. We struggle with it at a workplace, I'm sure. We struggle with it in a church. And we struggle with it in the broader context of our world. And in this world, there are kingdoms and there are, are, are nations and there are groups of people that are held together by certain or other political lines or certain or other physical lines or certain or other uh, predetermined or, or determined by through war or some kind of lines and they're shifting all the time. And there's, there's this great back and forth with, with the powers of the state and of, of governing bodies. And we have this thing of government. And I think it would do us well to know how, what we should believe about government, what should, we should believe about the state. When I use that word, I mean that. I don't mean like the state of Michigan or the state of Indiana, although that's part of it. I mean from the local, the, the village, the town, uh, to the county, to the state, to the national kind of governing authorities. What should I believe about them, and how should I interact with them? Now, some of this maybe gets a little bit into how we act with it, and there'll be more coming down the road. Again, we're, we're kind of setting the stage for walk, working through our statement of faith and practice, and there's going to be a lot of things. Believe it or not, there's a lot of things that come out of there that have to do with this question of authority and what has authority or who has authority or how do I treat this. So let's just jump in. I'm going to uh, read the state, statement out of here first because I, I almost forgot to do that. I want to do that first. The state, if you have it, I don't know if you, anybody's following along or not, but the state is a provision of God for the administration of order and justice for the welfare of all people. The state is distinct from the church in purpose and cannot be expected to function by the ethics of Christ and the New Testament. Under God's provision, the state uses the sword, which is ordained, this is a quotation, ordained of God outside the perfection of Christ and is a function contrary to the New Testament teaching for the church and the disciple of Christ. By the way, that quotation is, which is the state is, uh, is ordained of God outside the perfection of Christ, comes from a very, very early confession uh, made by the early Anabaptists. It's called the Schleitheim Confession. Confession 1527. So do some math there. That's uh, quite a number of years ago. Uh, that's where that's that that's a quotation out of this statement here was not drafted to that back then. This is much more recent. 19, I don't know, probably says in here 80, 90. 
1991. Um, but it's based on that kind of statement from people who are our, we consider our very early forefathers. Let me keep reading here. Christians are to pray for and respect the state and its officials and obey in matters not violating obedience to Christ and his word. The church is a witness to the state of God's righteousness and may cooperate with the state in matters of community and law where principles of love and righteousness are not violated, but may not be integrated with the state or succumb to a nationalism which essentially accords the state the status of a tribal God. Now, that's a big, long mouthful of lots of theological words. Again, our goal is to break this apart by what do we believe the Bible says about the state? I'm going to start this morning in Romans chapter 13. I'd love to have you open your Bibles and read along with me because you're going to want to see these words. Now, you always should want to see the words we read. I've said this before, and I'll make a similar statement again today. The most important words you will hear this morning from the pulpit up here are the words that are read from this book. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not terror to good conduct, not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Just a few remarks before we launch in. First of all, I want you to see that apparently back then already they struggled with this how do we sort out this authority thing who's really in charge of me for it is quite possible and happened back then and happens today that we like to have this attitude that says well I belong to God so those people who are in government can't tell me what to do I would just take, come right out the front and say that is in its, of itself a rebellious attitude I don't think you can quite 100% sincerely say you belong to God actually because <laughs> it's, it's a pretty bold statement Obviously, they struggled with it then. No different today. The second thing I'd like to point out to you is several times in that passage, it calls these governing authorities his servants. And it does so regardless of whether they were believers or not. In fact, if I would make my final remark about this, may I remind you the conditions in which these words are written are far, far different than the conditions in which we read them today and study them. In other words, they were in an environment where they were what they would have considered under the control of a hostile government. So when you read these and you apply them, you think about them, we automatically think of life as we know it in the United States, which happens to be a democracy for the most part, supposed to be, and we have some say in who's the next ruler. We get to vote those people in. If you, if you choose to vote, we get to partake in that process. We do all these things, and for the most part, now we see some of these things drifting away a bit, but for the most part, we are allowed peace to believe what we want to believe and worship how we want to worship. This was written in an environment not like that at all. So to hear words like they're God's servant, they're there to, to reward the good and punish the bad. If you think you might have reason to say, oh, they don't know what they're talking 
That, Paul, when he wrote this, had reason to understand that people could say, whoa, wait a minute, you're calling Caesar a good guy? This guy who's violent? Wait a minute, the guy who wants to kill people? The guy who will, who will, I mean, those people had no choice who the next governing authorities were going to be. They had no choice who was going to be over them and can charge. None at all. And frequently those people were not kind at all. Far less kind than even what we might sometimes say about our people in charge over us. So let's dig in. Knowing all that, what should we believe about the state, about governing authorities? The first thing, I'm just going to kind of walk through this a little bit. The first thing is that they are placed by God. I use that word very specifically, placed, because that's the specific word used in the text. Now, when I read it, I read in verse, uh, verse uh, 2, sorry, verse 1, end of verse 1, that they have, those that exist have been instituted by God. You may read, depending on what translation you're reading, may read, they, they have been ordained by God. But it's really the word tasso, T-A-S-S-O, Greek word tasso, which means to place. The reason I draw attention to that word is because it's connected to the word that means to submit or subject yourself because that word is hupatasso, to place yourself under. So we know that we are called to submit to God. But in this text, it says that God has placed governing authorities, the state. He has placed them. He is in control of them. Again, mind you, not those that necessarily want to even follow God or a Christian at all. But he has placed them. We see this. Remember last week we talked about this great battle that we saw. John saw it unfolding in in, in, in a vision, and we see it unfolding. We see this great battle, God and Satan trying to usurp, and that battle goes on and on and on. God giving Satan some latitude because he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of this world. He's the prince of what's happening here, except that God is still in control. Nothing happens outside of his will, outside of his permission, if I use that word. So Paul says they have been placed by God. The good and the bad. The righteous and the evil. If I can just make this side comment, it probably rarely occurs to us, and this is why we struggle with this, it rarely occurs to us that it is not God's chief aim to make our lives happy and comfortable. That's why we can say we believe this, that the good and the bad, those that are righteous and the evil, are placed by God. By the way, a man named Habakkuk asked this very same question to God. If you want to read that book in the Old Testament, he asked the very same question. God, how could you use those evil people? And God said, they're my tools. I put them there for that purpose to come to cause harm to my chosen people because they are being disobedient to me. Certainly we have to see that God is more interested in our obedience than in our happiness and comfort. Placed by God. We secondly see from this text that we read here that in fact they do carry authority in their position. Now I put that pretty carefully as well because I want to make sure I, I convey a couple of things with that. They do carry authority. God is a God of authority. Now he is the highest authority. He is the supreme authority. But underneath that, we see lots of hierarchies of authority. And we must find ourselves in that. And he has given them authority in their position. Now, I, I put that last part because I'm not saying that they as a person have authority. But their position has authority. 
And we are to respect that. We are to subject ourselves to that. We are to recognize that, that God has done exactly that. Now, before I go on, I want to go to a parallel passage that I want to also bring into the text or the discussion this morning, and that's in 1 Peter, because 1 Peter also writes about this same subject. Again, I tell you, clearly people were struggling with it then, as we sometimes do today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to read these verses, in chapter, starting in verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. It's going to sound very familiar. I've covered the first ground already. I read from Romans. I said these, 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 the state, the governing authorities, they're placed by God. They are given authority over us in their positions. And now let's see how Peter uh, responds or how Peter lines up with that. He says in verse 13 of second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, second chapter, 1 Peter, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. By the way, catch that. Just, we, we read so fast sometimes. We read over so many things sometimes. Just stop for a little bit. Look what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Think about that for a moment. Why does that have anything to do with it? Why, Why is it for God's sake that we're supposed to submit? Why do you think that's true? Anybody have anyone in posture guess, by the way? kind of sprung this on you, but what, why do you think that's true? What, what does God get out of it if, if, we're, if we subject ourselves to human authority? What's that? Our reputation? What's that? How does he get glory? He does. How does he get glory from that? We're going to get some more clues. It's a little unfair for me because I've studied for the message and you haven't, so. Um, but, but we're going to get some more clues as we go through, but his glory. Think of, okay, we'll just, we'll just leave that there. Just, you, can, you can sort of chew on that in the back of your mind. Now, don't check out completely, but chew on that in the back of your mind. How does God get glory by us submitting ourselves to human institutions? Let's just go on reading. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He picks up with the exact same theme. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. By the way, can I make another quick note here? At the end of our Romans passage, he ends with this. He says, we should pay to all what is owed them, to taxes to whom is owed taxes, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. He's kind of just leaving it open, but Peter actually answers that. Did you notice the last line I read from Peter? He says, you should honor everyone. You should love the brotherhood. You should fear God. You should honor the emperor. He actually answers what Paul kind of left open-ended there. Maybe one more comment. I'm sorry for doing all these side notes, but one more comment. There's a really great verse right in the middle of this that honestly we often misquote a little bit. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And we typically, I think, use that out of context because we use it in terms of, we say, hey, you're set free from sin, live as free people, and don't, but don't give in to sin. By the way, that's a true statement. That's just not how that means in context, because in the context of this discussion, he's talking about submitting to governing authorities. That word free actually refers to living as a citizen as a free citizen, not being under bondage. Like, like you're not, like, like, like if you're in the U.S., say, hey, live as a U.S. citizen. You should live that way. But don't take that as an opportunity to slander God. Live correctly. Don't sin. Again, some of this comes into focus. What does God get out of us, out of us submitting? Is coming into focus here. He wants us to do good so that we may silence the mouths of fools, the ignorance of fools. That as we, as we have freedom, as we are citizens, as we have rights as a U.S. citizen, we don't use those rights 
as a cover-up for evil, but we live as servants of God. We recognize that our ultimate authority is far higher. Do you catch that? If I were to translate that for you today, I would say, hey, you should live as citizens of the United States, but don't use your rights as a U.S. citizen as a cover-up for evil, but show that you are a servant of God first and foremost. You belong under God's mastery first and foremost. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. All right, let's get back to our, our, our point. I have one more point to make, and I think uh, at this point I want to I make, a, make a sort of a juxtaposition into here. We read what the state is there for. It's placed by God. It carries authority and position. Both Paul and Peter said that they are there so that those who do bad are punished and those who do good are rewarded. That if there's evil, they take care of it. They judge it. They even use the sword. They use force if they have to. That's what they do. That's what the state should do. Now, the last point I want to make about this is that the state, here's what we believe about the state, the state functions differently than the church does, particularly in that regard. It doesn't take, we don't have to look very far, by the way. Look at just the next verses in First Peter here, because you quickly see a distinction being made. He's just said that the government will punish those who do evil. They will, they, will, they will repay those who are not doing what's right. And then you keep on reading. Now, here's a couple verses about servants being subject to your masters. But then he starts talking about this. It's a gracious thing if you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if you, when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? Or you suffer, and you suffer for... I should just read it. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here is the example. Pay attention carefully to this. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, when he was spoken ill of, when he was mistreated, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, in those verses, I believe a distinction has been clearly made. He begins by saying the state. You should subject yourself to them. They are the governing authorities. They're put there by God. They will reward those who are doing good, but they will punish those who do evil. When they do what is wrong, they will punish them. And then he turns around and talks to the believers, and he says, but listen, Jesus gave you an example to follow. And that example was when people spoke ill about him, when people mistreated him, when he suffered unjustly, he did not punish them or pay them back or revile them in return or take it in his hands. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, to God. What we should begin to see emerge is that the state is in parallel or is into the side of the church and God, remember that we talked about this, this, this idea of now, not yet, this whole way through, now, not yet. God uses the state very often, not always, but uses the state very often to bring about his will and to bring justice, not the church. That's why we would say that things like the Crusades were not biblical. We don't use force to convert people to Christianity. We don't punish people when they are not Christians. Not according to what this says. We, in fact, don't even lash back and pay people back when they treat us unfairly. That's not our role. Even Jesus, 
who was perfect. Now, you might think you are treated unfairly sometimes. I certainly do. I often get all worked up because somebody was unfair to me. But, you know, I'm not perfect, which means I deserve at least a little bit of the grief that I get. Jesus was perfect. No mistake. Nothing wrong. And yet, when they spoke ill of him and mistreated him and called him blasphemous things, he did not revile and return. He did not punish them back. He did not threaten them. He did not say, oh, you just wait. God's going to get you. God was going to get them, wasn't he? But that wasn't in his place. He's the king. And that was not in his place. By the way, if you're questioning what I'm saying here about being different in the church, go back to what I read in Paul's words in the Romans chapter 13. Now, in this case, it comes before he talks about the, the governing authorities, not after, but he has some of the very same things. Read Romans chapter, I don't think I'm going to take time to read this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and it's all about what it makes, what it looks like to be a true believer. And among those things, live in harmony with each other. Never repay evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of everyone. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, now listen, this is not what the state is called to do. This is what believers are called to do. The church is called to do. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You see, there's a wide divergence from Scripture in what, how the state functions and how the church functions. And these guys are not just making things up, early church kind of stuff. Jesus said the same kinds of things. Remember the scene where they came to trip Jesus up? You quizzers should know what that happens here. The scene where they came to trip Jesus up and they said, hey, you tell me, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? They're trying to get him in, caught up in this whole how to figure out this authority thing because they struggle with it like crazy, just like we do. Is my allegiance, my authority, who gets, who gets authority of me? The government, my church leaders, God. I can, I can find wiggle room through all those things to excuse me for any of my behavior if I really want to. And they said, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And what did Jesus do? Do I have a quizzing student here that wants to tell me what Jesus did? You don't have to quote anything, but just tell me what, what, did, you, what did Jesus do? Nathan, what, when they said, do you have to pay taxes to Caesar, what did Jesus do? Go ahead, Ryan. That's right. He said, go bring me a coin. Go bring me a denarius. And they brought a denarius. He said, hey, whose face is on here? And they said, it's Caesar's. And he said exactly what Ryan just quoted for us. Good job, Ryan. I'm not sure why I'm not connected here. Oh, there we go. He said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. What Jesus says by that is he says, I need you to recognize that there is an authority there. And Caesar has some authority. And there's things that belong to him you should give to him. But let me tell you, he also said, recognize that some things are under God's authority and what is his, you better give to him. This is the same Jesus who earlier on the Sermon on the Mount, again, we see a divergence of how these work, right? I'm making the point still that they operate differently. Earlier on the Sermon on the Mount, he uses language that says, hey, by the way, when someone wants to take your cloak, give, did I get that right? I'm not sure, oh, boy, that, I, I'm drawing a blank here. When they want to take your cloak, give them your coat also. I might have messed that up. When they want to go one mile, go two. When they hit you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, right? That does not sound like what, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? That doesn't sound like that's what the state's going to do. That they're, that they're, it doesn't sound like that. But the key comes when Jesus, 
the key to understanding this, so how we should think about this, comes when Jesus stands before Pilate. We, all those things make sense. How can you say this and this both? How can Paul say this and this both? How can Peter say this and this both? The key comes when Jesus stands before Pilate, he makes this confession. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. We talked about this when we talked about the kingdom. But here it comes fleshed out again. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not after some kind of territory or governing or authority here right now. My kingdom is somewhere else. He said, if it were from here, you know my servants would be fighting. Also, while he's in that, now this actually happens just before this, so I should have maybe switched these verses around. But while he's leading up to that moment, remember what happened when they came to arrest Jesus? What happened? Some of his servants were intending to fight, right? And they pulled the sword out. And he says, put the sword away. Those who take the sword will perish by the sword. I again believe he's making a clear distinction between what the governing, human governing authority institutions, how they act, and how the church, how, how God's kingdom acts. Remember, we talked about, when we talked about the kingdom, it's now not yet, but it's also upside down, it's backwards. I believe that's what we should believe about the state today still. It does not operate like the church does. It functions differently. We both have to acknowledge that and allow that and not work along with them in that. For we should recognize that we act differently. So I, when I, I'm kind of trying to fight, define both sides of that, if you, if you get where I'm going with that. Like, A, we should be okay that they do things differently than us. That means we should not, like, I don't think it's for us. It's about as close as we're going to get to a political message, by the way, ever in this, from this pulpit, from my, as far as I can tell. But it means we should not be about lobbying and getting them to change how they do their human institutions. But it also means we should not join their methods. We should recognize there's a distinction. that They're going to act differently than we are. We should not be acting like, we should not use the same, the same ways, the same things. We, our, our, our roles are different. Well, let me get to this because I want to close this, wrap this up. I believe we should uh, not only talk about what we believe about the state, but from Scripture, there's a few clear key things that talk about how we respond, what our response is to that, if we believe this. And it gets a bit into maybe what the application stuff is on the other side, but I think it's worth talking about this morning. I'm going to give you a chance to do some reading like I've done before. So if someone wants to look up 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the first thing that I want to say about this is that the church should pray for government, for the state, for the, for the governing institutions, the, the authority structures that are over us. We should pray for them. That may not be the first intuitive thing you want to think about that, but we should pray for them. Someone read 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first two verses. Don't be shy. Did you notice that there was like four different things he says? He could have just said, hey, pray for these people. He said, I urge that all, Glenn, what was those? Requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Four different ways of saying, hey, think about your governing institutions, your, your leaders, your government, and pray for them. Now, he also gives a reason why we should pray for them, right? Because we do want to live at peace. We want to live godly, holy lives. We want to be, be able to be at peace. Pray for your government. I would urge us that as we 
wrestle with this morning, recognize that God has placed a human authority over us. It's under him, but over us, that we pray for them. Far too often, I will say for myself that I'd rather grumble about the awful things that our national government does. I would rather get upset. I'd rather wring my hands. I'd rather talk badly about them. I'd rather decry the other side. I'd rather find people who think like me and really get all hot and bothered about this stuff. Far more than I'm on my knees praying for them. If we believe this about the state, if we believe that they are an authority over us, I believe it would behoove us to pray much for them. Hey, can I just take a little sidestep from this, by the way? I'm going to talk to children. Now, this is not the point of the message, so please don't take it. But I'm going to talk to children. Because I can take a parallel here and tell you that while you are growing up in your house, you have an authority over you placed by God that's called your mom and your dad. The things we're going to cover here that should be happening for us with our government would be incredible if you do these things for your moms and dads. They are given authority and responsibility over you, and you should pray for them that they do that well. That would allow you to live lives of peace and in holiness. Similar concept. The second thing I believe that we should do is we should obey. Now that gets pretty blunt, but you know what? It got pretty blunt in Scripture. Someone read Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. That's pretty blunt, right? Remind the people. I'm sorry. I'm going to remind you this morning. You are to be subject to the governing authorities and to obey and be ready to do good. That's what my Bible says. So that's what I'm going to tell you that we believe about the state. Now, many times people say, but wait a minute. What if we have an evil government? What if they ask me to do things I, I, I can't do because it's violating my conscience with God? And I would say that is correct because we have a higher authority. However, I would also say be very, very, very careful. I, I, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to, you're not going to like what I say. But I believe many times this has been abused by people who call themselves Christian and say, well, I, this, is, this is offending my, like my, where I stand on something. And God, I, God says I have to do this. So I, I, can, I can be a civil disobedient person. Let's be very careful. Now, I will give you room that that should be true, however, because you do have a higher authority. And when you know something that God says very clearly, i.e. it's written right here in his word, then yes, we should say, though it may cost me my life, though it may cost me pain, though it may cost me jail, though it may cost me being harassed, though it may cost me being made fun of, those are the things that I will stand on. We can look to scripture for this. Let's go to Acts because we just went through the book of Acts. Somebody read Acts chapter 4 verse 19. This is Peter and uh, uh, John and they are they are uh, getting in trouble with the, with the uh, Jewish leaders because they are uh, teaching that Jesus was put on the cross at the hands of the Jewish leaders. They are taking some, they're converting people to Christianity, and they're not being looked, after, they're not being, uh, looked at so kindly, and they're being punished. They were brought in, questioned, uh, harassed a little bit. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 19, here's the response they give. Someone read that for us.
There you go. So they asked a question, right? Now, you can just keep your page finger there because we're going to read another verse in a little bit. But you, let, let's think about this. You're telling me what to do, but God has told me what to do too. And you kind of have to sort out, like, what, what's right here? Now, by the way, can I just shh this in a little bit? In this scenario, they're actually not going against the government, are they? Because the people that, are, that they're talking to are church leaders, not the civil authorities. However, I think we can glean some principles, so that's why I'm sharing it. I don't, I don't think it negates what, what we're going to say here. Now, that persists. So they go on, and then they get thrown in jail, and then they get let out, and they're right back to where they were, and they get, they get, they get hauled in again and say, hold on, we told you to stop doing this. Then they get a lot more direct. In this case, let's read uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Just a chapter later, verse 29. So, uh, someone over here started reading. So was that you, Harlan? There he comes right on and says it, right? But we must obey God rather than men. And I want to leave us with that baseline. While I've made this case that there's an authority over us, and there is, even though they may not be a, a godly authority, we must remember, remember that verse that says we should act as servants of God? We must remember that our ultimate authority comes from God and what he says. So when we have been instructed when we have been told what to do, when it says very clearly, and again, I want to make sure I distinguish, not just my, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not coming to me, so I shouldn't say it. But when we've been instructed very clearly what, what, what we should be doing here, then that's what we should stand on, even when human authority tries to tell us otherwise. We have to return to what Peter said. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity to dis disgrace God. The third thing that should happen here is, which is what happens when we take advantage of this un un incorrectly, is that we are to be a witness. In all of this, we are to be a witness. This answers the question of what God gets out of our obedience to human authorities. We are to be a witness to that authority. A, an example of how it gets done in God's kingdom as an opposition to what they are doing. Remember, God's kingdom is upside down. They will use force. They will, they, will, they will demand justice. They will get payback. In fact, in our world, they will make it even punitive. They'll say, I, I, it was really this much, but for extra damages, it's even this much more, right? You know what I'm talking about when we talk about lawsuits and stuff like that. And we are here to show them that that's actually not the best way of doing things. That's actually not how God designed it. That's not actually how God's kingdom operates. You see, we will live happy, blessed, content, at peace lives, even though we're the butt end of the joke, even though we got the short end of the stick, even though we're harassed, even though we're not treated fairly, even though it's unjust. We demonstrate that the power of the one inside of us is greater than the power in there. Let me just go back to Peter because uh, I want to I just follow those, a lot of those, those uh, phrases through to get to where I'm going here. Remember, he talked about, about subjecting yourself he talked about the distinction between how we act as believers. In chapter 3, he talks about husbands and wives. Then he goes back to that subject of suffering for righteousness' sake. And I want to read the, at the bottom, chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We are to witness. 
I don't know if you'll agree with me, but in some respects, I believe God placed governing authorities and how they operate and allows them and actually asks them to operate in that way so that he can make a distinction with how different he is, with how glorious his methods are, with how amazing it is to give the invitation to say, I will pay the price for you so that you can be free, so that you can be set free from, to make a distinction. And when we, the church, forget that distinction, we muddle those lines, we absolutely destroy what God has set out to do through the state and through the church. All of this for us comes down to one issue in here. It's a word I've used plenty of times. I just want to put it up there again today. Where is our allegiance? Who holds the true strings to our hearts? Is it me personally? Is it my nation? Is it Jesus? There are other options too. I could go on. Is it my family? Is it my community or my culture? I could even say, is it my church? For if any of those supersede my allegiance to Jesus Christ, then it is what's called in Scripture an idol. It is an idol. The state has a purpose. It's placed by God. It has authority in the position it carries. It functions differently than we in the church do. And our allegiance must never get messed up in that regard. Can I, be, can, I be, can I just be very blunt and honest with you? I have some fear that those lines are getting plenty blurred among us. Most of you, again, this is about as close as you're gonna to get to a political message for me ever. Most of you know that I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm pretty open on participating. I vote, I participate in civic things, I, all those kind of things. I think it's a good thing. I think we should live as citizens. We should live as free, free people. And, and that's, that's the rights we're given. But I'm afraid that we are wandering a little too far into placing our hope and our allegiance into this nation. When we can begin to talk of other people from other nations with evil intent and wanting them all to be killed... I understand the state does what it needs to do, and I don't think we should stop that. I don't think that's what I should want, though. And I'm afraid my allegiance is being placed a bit in the wrong camp if I'm more American than I am Christian. And I, I, don't, I don't want to belabor it. I don't want to be heavy-handed about it. I want to be honest, though, with things I see. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we... We have your word. It is an amazing gift to us that you would just clarify and then uh, uh, keep for us through the years this incredible, precious, inspired word that you give to us. We have the Bible. It contains your promises, but it also contains instructions for us and how to think and believe and behave. I want to be the first to say, God, that I don't have perfect understanding and I certainly, certainly, certainly don't have perfect application of even the things I do understand. Oh, I need your help. 
Oh, I want to, I need to surrender myself. I need to die to myself all the time. And put you, Jesus, as my Lord, my leader. But I'm thankful for the way that you speak to us and continually are faithful in helping us, not only to understand, but to apply. And here's one of those things, God. Thank you for your word and what it says about the state. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's like it doesn't matter to us, but sometimes it's difficult to understand that there are authorities and they often have not anything in mind to do to be righteous and godly, but you have placed them. You have said they don't bear the sword in vain. You have said they accomplish my purposes. They are my servants. They bring order and justice here to people. That's what they're supposed to do. And we know as much as we struggle with obeying you, as you, ones who say we want to follow you, they who have no desire to follow you sometimes are not very good at obeying you. And yet we see over and over in your word, just this morning again, your spirit, you stirred the spirit of Cyrus and you caused him to say words that would be in holding with what you said through the prophet Jeremiah. The God of heavens, whose presence is in Jerusalem, his people should go back and, and, and restore the temple and, and restore worship there. Go. In fact, not only should they go, not only should they go, but they should be given money to help that process. Huh. You did that of a, of a man who, who was not a godly, who's not, not, a, not a Jewish person or wanting to follow you at all. So we know that none of these operate outside of your will. Help us, Father, to correctly discern where our authority and allegiance should lie. Keep us as good citizens until that moment when it requires being a better citizen of, of the kingdom of heaven than of the kingdom of which we belong to here on earth. Thank you for your grace, Father. We give you praise and glory. I ask for you to make the words that needed to be heard effective and uh, relevant and, and known and understood and the words that were mistakes or just lay, lead to confusion to strike them from our minds that we don't even be tripped up by them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? Lord, dismiss us with the favor of your presence. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to be a witness to the glory of who you are, the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he had done to come. The amazing truth of the gospel. Help us to be a testimony to that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.